Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daniel 9.20 While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel... The man I'd seen in an earlier vision came to me in a swift uh, flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish uh, transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem with the anointed one, or Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be 77s and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with the streets and the trench, in the t- but in times of trouble, after there were 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will conf- uh, confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he has set up an abomination that causes desolation till the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Very understandable, right? You read that and go, I get it. Okay, (laughs) yeah, I understand. So what we have here is Gabriel the angel showing up while Daniel is in prayer. And he says, 77s are decreed, are set apart here. And the Hebrew, the the number 7 is very significant. If you read the Old Testament all through through the New Testament, we're going to be talking a little bit about numbers today. But there are certain numbers that are very significant, and 7 is one of those. It's the word Shabua. It could also mean a week. It's almost like when we say a dozen. You know, it means a set of something. You know, we think of a 12 or a baker's dozen. I like that. You know, 13, get an extra one there. But it means, that, you know, something that's been set apart, a set. So when, we, when he says seven, the word could mean week or it could mean an actual seven days. So when Gabriel comes to Daniel and said there are 77 coming, Daniel hears 70 sets of seven of similar things are coming. And many scholars think that, that this is 70 sets of weeks, which is, uh, the, well, that think the 70 sets of weeks is actually years. Uh, others don't go, you know, quite that far. Some go in the opposite direction. You know, the first seven, seven uh, uh, set of seven means 49 years, and that means something. And the second uh, set of 62 means something else. And you add them together, and they mean a third thing. So you have all these scholars kind of debating what this means. Some thinks it literally means 483 years, and then you have one week left. And that one week left is not literal seven years. And then some think that it is a literal seven years. So it gets all kind of convoluted in there. I have to tell you, respected Bible scholars really disagree on these things. 
And actually, it's, a, it's kind of a point of contention in many, you know, many of the seminaries. And in fact, I can tell you from experience, it, it really is a pain to set through a class when you're debating something like this. Because people kind of get their, this is my position, and I'm not letting go of this position. I'm not even going to listen to you and your position, and I'm just going to fight about my position. And you're just sitting there going, will you just shut up? You know, you're just like, come on. Let the teacher teach. You be quiet. You know, I mean, just, it just, it's aggravating. So what are they disagreeing on this for? Well, what they're really disagreeing about are the 70s. Sevens, the really 70, you know, the 70 sets of seven calendar years. Well, you've got to start thinking about this. Well, if this is what they're disagreeing about, what, what calendar do you want to use? Which calendar are we disagreeing about here? Because there's been several calendars used throughout history. Are we talking about the Babylonian calendar when Daniel actually received this vision? How about the Egyptian calendar? How about the Chinese calendar or, or the, Juni, uh, the Jewish lunar calendar? Our calendar is 365.25 days a year. So first of all, which calendar are we going to use to, fi- uh, to fight, I mean, discuss this stuff with? And of course, you have some who say, well, of course we should use the Jewish lunar calendar. They were Jews. And some say that this is exact years and exact days. So first of all, you know, which calendar? Some start with this prophecy, and they count 483 years, and you come up, literally, with the crucifixion of Christ. Well, that's got to be it. And there are others that say these 70 sets, you know, but they don't know which calendar, you know, or even if it's even human years. So don't be so literal. Just understand, this is a, this is a period of time. This is some really cool stuff in here, but we get so staunch on our position that we really don't look at the, the big picture. There's other scholars that say this isn't about exact years. This is about the end times. This is a very you know, prophetic book, and it's symbolic. It has bigger truths to it. And all these positions really do kind of have a point. This is an end-time book. And we do know that numbers mean something. In the book, you know, there, you know, in a book about end times, like Revelation 7 is a very important number. It means something, you know. And other times it means something else. See, the number 10, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3 and a half, 3, and 1 all have meanings. And usually they mean the same thing throughout. I know what kind of confusion you hear. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get it there. So before we just interpret these things, we need to kind of understand what they mean throughout the word. The number 7 and the number 10 are both numbers of completion, things that God has completed. What are some of the things that God has completed with the number 10? The Ten Commandments, which are, you know, encapsulation of all the other, you know, commandments, 614 or 622, depending on how you count. Again, there's arguments about that. How about the Ten Plagues? It's a, it's a sense of completion for God. So Gabriel comes along and says, did someone say something about 70? Oh man, you know, God loves that number. And he reveals stuff to Daniel. Now before we really dive into this, a general rule of thumb when dealing with end time stuff is that it's confusing and oftentimes will stay confusing. Well, God's not a God of confusion. 
Well, no, what it means is we just can't understand everything that God reveals. In time, he will make it clear to us. Right now, in a sense, our eyes are covered about certain things. It can be, you know, so complicated to a young Christian or a really busy person or a lazy person who goes, just forget it. I'll take a book of Philippians and I'll study that book and I forget about, you know, this book. That's like not eating, not eating your veggies, you know? It just, it's not good for you. And then there are those who eat too many of their vegetables. All they study is end times. All they study is, is complicated things, and, and basically they run all their friends, uh, friends away. Now, I had a friend of mine who, um, uh, when they had their kid, finally got them on solid food. Their child really liked carrots, so they just kept mashing up carrots. Well, their child turned orange. It can happen. It really can. And they take to the doctor. You know, they, they didn't know what was going on. They take the kids to the doctor and they say, he's orange. doctor goes, what are you feeding them? Carrots. Well, stop feeding them carrots. So simple. But that's how we, you know, that's how we dive into the word. We grab our parts that we can understand and we just stay right there. That's why we need to, you know, study the totality of the scriptures here. Okay, well, let's go back through this and figure some of this out. Jeremiah speaks for God through the scripture, and Daniel's reading it. And the number 70 come, you know, comes up, and Daniel goes, wow, we're, that's us he's talking about. We're almost out of our 70 years of captivity, and we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. So the CDs are back there for those who need that. That there is a completion to your Babylonian captivity. And Daniel goes, this is great. So he starts to seek God. He repents for Israel's sin, and he's just focused on the 70. Okay? He wants to know, when are we out of here? What's the quickest way for us to get back to Jerusalem? That's his idea. And basically says, God, are you going to keep your promise? And Gabriel shows up and says, yes. God has forgiven you. God has heard your prayer. You are beloved. You are an awesome God in heaven. They're talking about you, Daniel, which is unbelievable. Because as humans, we can't even imagine in heaven them talking about us or we being held to a high esteem because we look at our sin, don't we? Well, Daniel had sin too. And Gabriel's saying, you're an awesome guy. You are highly esteemed in heaven. And if you want to know... God is not focused on your past. He is focused on your future. God has heard you and God has forgiven you. So now we need to get you off your past as well because God wants you to write some stuff down. This is bigger than just your 70-year thing. Sometimes, you know, we, we kind of pray about our 70-year thing. We feel like we're in the middle of captivity and middle of the situation and we're sitting here going, I don't know how I got here. Or, man, I wish I hadn't got myself into this. You know, because it happens both ways sometimes. But we're so focused on, God, get me out of this little box that I'm in. And God says, well, thank you for asking for forgiveness. I forgive you that. Now, I want you to focus not only getting out of that, but there's a bigger picture here. And he says, so lift your eyes. I don't want you to, to talk Or I don't want to talk to you about your past. I want to talk to you about 70 times 7. I want to show you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could even ask or think. If your eyes have seen it, if your ears have heard it, if your mind has conceived it, it's beyond all of that. As long as your mind is on you and your perceived problems, 
And so often we are like that, right? We won't see the truth. The truth is the center of the universe. So he solves our problems and he wants us to walk away thinking about our future, not about ourselves. God says your vision is about your people, your situation. And that is all good. But my vision, Daniel, my vision is way up here. And God shows Daniel a different glimpse. Now, the 70 years, Daniel, I'll complete that. But 70 times 7, I want to show you what else I'll complete. Now, do you remember Jesus talking about 70 times 7 in the New Testament? Simon Peter comes, and again, this is my paraphrase here, okay? Lord, John, man, John's just an idiot. He just makes me mad sometimes. I know this, you know, I know he's all great and everything, but somebody ought to send him to an island. Sorry. <laughs> he borrowed my boat and he put a dent into it. My nets are all messed up. I mean, there's, there's things that, that, you know, that Peter's sitting there going, Lord, how many times do we have to forgive? Now, he wasn't necessarily talking about John. Again, that was my paraphrase. But I've been there. Lord, they dented my truck. And God's going, it's just a truck. Okay, Lord. Okay. In fact, two people dented it in the same exact place. That's what I get for letting them take the trailer. But, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive this knucklehead? How many times? Seven times? And I'm sure the Lord looked at him and goes, Wow, that's more than you've ever forgiven anyone. So that's a start. Have you ever had to forgive somebody seven times? Some of you are like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's like my first year of marriage. (laughs) But if it's the same sin, then it just counts as one. (laughs) But what does he say? Seventy times seven. So seventy times seven, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to keep track to 483 and then warn the guy, man, you've got seven more times and I'm going to bop you upside the head. I mean, we've all been there. No, he's saying, you're going to lose count. You're going to lose count. So 70 times 7, what does that mean? He's just saying, it's a lot. It's huge. It's big. I'm giving you a glimpse of glory here, Daniel. It's like the lights being turned on. And and over in Italy, they have this beautiful uh, little chapel. And I should have wrote down the the chapel name, but literally, um, it's in this... uh, way off place and it's hard to get there and, and there's a painting on top of the, the chapel you know it's kind of got a dome and got a beautiful painting there really famous but the only time you can see it is you go in there and you sit in a dark room and you sit there and this priest may come by in 10 minutes or in 4 hours and he flips on the light and just when you're ready to go wow he flips the light off literally they, this, this is what they do, but people want to see this. I mean, I don't know why they do this. I, wouldn't, I don't have that much patience. But, I mean, this is, what God, this is like God giving Daniel a glimpse of his glory. He just turns it on for a second. Now, all the scholars agree on this. Gabriel appeared to Daniel, and he says, In the future... Your 70 years of captivity are almost up. And then there's something to the 70 times 7 thing on the horizon. And things will happen like peace for Israel and the Middle East and all of mankind. And the Messiah brings peace and the solution for sin. So let's go back through this. Uh, We're going to go back to verse 24. 
Uh, Gabriel is speaking for God and says six things will happen. Seventy-seven things, you know, seventy and then seven, and then six things will happen. Verse 24, it says, Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now let's take a look at these. First off, to, you know, transgression will be finished. It's the word rebesha, which means rebellion. Our rebellion will be finished at some point. Human rebellion will come to an end at some point at the end of the 70 and 7s. Finish means banished or destroyed. So the Messiah is going to, to, to do away with all of our sin, all of my sin. You know, transgression is the actual action of our sin. You know, we, we go back to the you know, King James Version. Father, forgive us for our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. That's exactly what we're talking about. Secondly, sin will be ended. And this is a little different than the first one. The world, or, and, and, I mean, and the word here for end is destroyed or consumed. So it's not just the behavior of sin. It's not just my sin. We're talking about the actual sin nature will also be destroyed. Someday after the 77, Alan will no longer struggle with sin because the Messiah has put an end to that sin. And I don't know how much you, you know, you've struggled, struggled this past week with your sin. But a day is coming will that, when that will be over. Now that's an amen if I've ever heard one, right? Or as last week we learned taco or any other word you want to put in there. Sorry, I, my mind just goes. Do you know how much energy is taken up with us thinking about our struggle with our sin? Man. I can tell you stories of, of things where my mind just keeps going over it and over it and over it, and you're just like, Lord, just take this out of my mind. And my, my, my time and my energy is really consumed by that. In fact, they just came out in the news um, a couple of weeks ago saying that those that were worried, talking about high schoolers and college people, those are, or even adults that are worried about a test or something very important coming down, if they would write down what they were worried about, it freed their mind up and they actually got a better grade. They did a study on this. That's how much energy it takes. Well, thirdly, it says atonement for our wickedness. Kafar is the, 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 the Hebrew word here. Kafar is atonement, which means to, to purge or to reconcile or to cover. So Jesus, who fulfilled this on the cross when he came, will complete it when he returns. And sin will be atoned for. And you say, well, well Alan, I'm... I'm now really confused, especially after listening to you for the last 10 minutes. You said sin was atoned for on the cross. Well, it was. But there's also a sense of now and later. The atonement will do away with sin, not just pay for it. See, our sin is paid for, but this atonement will do away with it. It is the completion of 70 times 7. Fourthly, it says everlasting righteousness. It's a beautiful Hebrew word. It's olam, olam. It, it means ancient and perpetual at the same time, as in eternal. So eternal righteousness will be brought in. 
So this is not a created righteousness from the cross. No. This is one that's always been there. It's ancient and it's everlasting. This righteousness has always existed. This is the Garden of Eden. This is the righteous relationship that we have with each other and with God himself. So we have this righteousness. And when I think of righteousness, I think back to my childhood. Do you remember those inflatable clowns that had the, you know, that were, were weighted on the bottom and you could hit them and they would always come back up? That's what we're talking about here. You can whack away at it all you want, but that righteousness always is going to be there. It always comes back up. I mean, it was totally fun, especially if you're a boy. You know, those ovens, no, do away with the ovens. Give me that thing. God's righteousness is like this. No matter what we do to it, it always pops right back up. No matter what the devil tries to, to do, it comes right back. Righteousness is uprightness. So at the end of days, this uprightness will continue being upright. But not just in God, but in us also. And that's the amazing part. Our righteousness will be unmovable, will be unshakable. The devil can hit us all day long, and our righteousness will pop right back up. And praise the Lord, because most of the days, man, I I feel pretty shaky. I mean, anybody else here with me? Some days you're just sitting there going, I don't feel righteous at all. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe so-and-so did that. uh, I'm so frustrated. You know, theologically, I'm in good shape. I'm not shakable in my faith. I'm not sitting there going, oh, I feel like I'm, I'm not a Christian today because of my sin. I'm not talking about that. But oftentimes, it's good to know that we will come before the Lord blameless. Blameless. We can stand up there with our heads held high and we don't have to, do, to be there in shame because our sin has been paid for. We forget our place with God. You know, sometimes... Um, I want to come up before the musical part of worship, you know, musical part of our worship uh, to God. And, and a friend of mine always said this, and it kind of clicked in my head yesterday, and I loved it. And, and I, I said this to Marla and, and Randy yesterday, but a friend of mine used to get up, and, and he, he'd get up to lead worship, and he goes, Hey, I'm not going to hell, so let's sing. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, You know, we laugh, but it's, it's really true. I mean, would we really do that? He did. I mean, not many people say stuff like that, but it's true. It reminds reminds us of our place with God. Well, then what will happen? Number five, vision and prophecy will be fulfilled or sealed. It is uh, the word katham. It is to, to fix one, you know, one seal on it. This is like the, the image of a king putting the wax over the scroll and the king putting his ring into it. So it's, it's fixing it, saying, no one should open this unless you're supposed to open it. My seal is there. When we get to heaven, there's a, a seal that will be placed on us. And it's an authentic seal. It's one without wax. And in fact, when we went over, I think it was Philippians, the, the word sincere, it means sincere. It literally means without wax. They would make their pottery and they would seal it because you could, you could take the granite, or the, you could, not granite, you could take the dust of whatever, the clay dust and, and mix it with wax and you could kind of smooth over some cracks. It's kind of like what we do to drywall. It makes it look like, hey, there wasn't a crack there. And then when summer comes along, what happens? It melts. So they would seal it and say, this is sincere. This is sincere. This is without wax. This word is used for, for the word of God also. 
that it's authentic, it's sincere, it's whole. It's amazing that we get to hold the Word of God in our hands and that we get to study it so much. This is why you know, we're, we're so opposed to dumbing down the teaching. Uh, I know I go along sometimes, I get it, and I've got to get going here faster here, but you know, a person may come along and say, well, it's wrong to teach that. You, know, you shouldn't teach that on Sunday morning. I disagree. If it's in the Word of God, we're going to teach it from up here. We're going to teach it appropriately. We're not going to talk about things that we shouldn't talk about, you know, especially with young ears around. But we're still going to teach what the Word of God is. It's why we, we have classes and we teach the Bible. It's the reason why we do it. This concept is all about love and relationships. And we can't teach more than 15 minutes because you're so stupid or, or it's just wrong. When someone says, hey, you can't teach that long, I go, wow, really? Do you watch TV? How long's your program? How long's your TV program? Do I go longer than that? Okay, some people go, well, I watch a 30-minute program. Okay. <laughs> we as Christians should be in the Word more and more and more. You know, on the weekends when I teach, I want to... I want to get you so bugged. I want to get you so disturbed that you go, man, I have to look this up. I have to look, at it, look it up to, to see if what he's saying is right. And that's what I want you to do. Because sometimes I mis, uh, my, you know, misspeak. Heaven forbid that happen when I'm teaching the Word of God. But guess what? I'm human. It happens. But I want to get you so bugged up for you to open the Word and say, okay, Lord, show me what it says about this. Well, number six is the most holy will be anointed. And, and the word is kodesh. And it, you know, it always means sanctuary. But it doesn't always mean a physical place. Some believe that, that literally here's a picture of uh, what, a replica of what they think the, the temple looked like. Some actually believe that this temple is going to be rebuilt. But there are others who say, no. Since Christ came and there's no talk of a physical building, you know, being a, a, you know, a place where, where God wants to reside because God is in us now, we are the temple, that there's not going to be a temple. So there's some debate on this, and we'll talk a little bit about this. I Personally, I think it's going to be rebuilt, because I think the Jews, I mean, they're already ready to be rebuilt. As soon as they can get that temple mount, uh, they're going to do it. They've got all the components ready to go. And we think, oh, it'll take years to build. No, they can get that thing done in about a, about a month. All the components are ready to go. So, you know, when we go, oh, let's wait around for the end times, it's, you know, I can just wait, because that will be my sign. <laughs> it's going to be a very quick sign. When the time comes. I don't know what that time is. But let's go back to verse 25. And let's say that the sevens and the tens are all about end times and symbolic. But there's also a possibility it's also about years. It's kind of both. I would say, you know, I would say it's both. Let's read it again. Verse 25. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes... There will be seven, seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. That means sixty-nine. It will rebuilt, be rebuilt in the streets and the trench, but in, ti- but in times of trouble. This means the city literally will be completely restored. After the seven is sixty-two sevens. Are you keeping track of all this? I mean, sixty-nine sevens at this point, okay? 
So if you're counting, or if you can do math in your head really quick, we're talking 483 years. The anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people and the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and is poured out on him. So if you add up all the sevens, it ends up being 77 of them. So, a number of calendar years, or, you know, in all these numbers, is it calendar years? And we've already kind of talked about it. We don't really know what calendar to use. So as long as you don't get exact on me, as long as you don't go, well, we're using this calendar and this many years, we can have a little bit of fun on this, okay? And I mean fun is in like biblical fun. I, I think it's fun. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but I've concluded as I've studied, and if I'm wrong, sorry, I still get to go to heaven. I got my golden ticket. But to force an exact seven human years here, you know, is maybe forced meaning in there that's not there sometimes. Some, it's like getting too close to the picture. Have you ever seen those dot pictures? You can get up really close and all there is is dots. And then you get far back away and you see kind of the, the, the bigger picture here. That's what we're talking about here. Sometimes we get too close and always, you know, we see the brush strokes and we're missing the overall picture. But, but on the other hand... If it doesn't have to be exact, depending on which calendar you use, that during the time of Nehemiah, and here's a wall, Artaxerxes, which is the grandson of Darius, allowed the Jews to go back and to rebuild the city. And here's literally in the middle of modern day city, as they were, you know, Digging up to build something else, they came across this and they dated this to be, and come to find out this is the outlying wall of Jerusalem during the time that Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls here. And if you go 69 weeks out from when Nehemiah rebuilt this wall, give or take five years, depending on which calendar you use, you are literally at the crucifixion of Christ. To me, that's, that's really cool. And it says that after this happened, it says the Messiah will cut off. And you might remember Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives during the last days of his earthly life, and he was literally just crying on the Mount of Olives. He came over the, the hill, and he's coming down, and he, you know, the little colt was there. And he gets on the little colt, and he's just crying, Oh, Jerusalem. Do you remember what he said in Luke 19? Oh, Jerusalem. He wept for the city. If only you knew that this was your day. It was like him saying, you know, if only you had interpreted Daniel right, you would have known that the Messiah was going to be here. Not to mention all the other prophecies. There was over 300 of them. And here I am looking at you. Why have you missed me? Instead of recognizing him as the Messiah, they're going to kill him. And it's not even murder in God's eyes because he offered himself up. They missed the party. And it's kind of fortunate for us because... As Gentiles, we received it. It was God's plan. But on this day, the Jews have missed it. And still to this day, they have missed it. Now, when we go back and look up this whole thing with the 70 times 7, we see that God is in complete control of our past and our future. God is in control of past, present, and future. 
So if God can say, look for the Messiah in 69 weeks, and then this is going to happen, the Messiah is going to be cut off. Now in Daniel 9.26, it says, well, I mean, you know, the Hebrew here, uh, the phrase was Meshech Karath. And I give you the Hebrew because I want you to understand that there is no connecting word between those two words here. It literally means Messiah cut. There's nothing there in between. Messiah cut. Now, Meshach is easy. It means Messiah. It's the only translation there. Daniel's talking about the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ. He says, look, for 69 weeks, the Messiah, Karath, or Kareth. And Kareth has two different meanings. And I, I really think that both these meanings are correct. One meaning of Karath, or Kareth, is it means to cut off, to kill. And specifically, to execute. Now, the other word is, is totally cool. When you look at it from a big picture standpoint, it means to cut off the contract is the other meaning to this word. It's an Old Testament type of understanding. It's called cutting a contract. And if you ever go through it, you know, I'll do my Israel series again, and, and we'll talk about cutting a contract, which often involves cutting up animals. They would literally cut an animal this way, in half, put them on two sides, and whoever's making the contract, they would walk, both walk through that area. And basically what they're saying is, if I don't uphold my part of the contract, may this happen to me. May I be cut up. Contract meant something, not a little piece of paper. Well... I don't know if you remember the Abrahamic covenant. What happened? God put Abraham to sleep. God walked through that. He didn't make Abraham go through it because he knew Abraham, as human, could not uphold his end. But God's saying, I'm going to uphold my end with you. And that with you was not only Abraham, but with us. I have cut a a covenant with you. So it either is the Messiah will be cut off or he will cut a covenant with us, which I think it means both. After 69 weeks, watch for the Messiah who will be cut off, who will be killed, and watch for the Messiah who will cut a new covenant, which means a new testament. A new testament. So we're going, wow, we have the right Messiah here. And this is great to know we, we have the real thing. And we're saying this, you know, still saying this today. We still, sorry, I didn't read my notes right. We're still using the saying today. How do you say it? Let me cut a check for you. This $15 check, I'm cutting a covenant that this is worth $15. Let me cut a check. Now it should be, let me swipe my credit card. Why do we say this? I'm cutting a covenant with you. This check is good. I don't owe you any more money. I've paid you. So Daniel says, watch for that. And after he is there, watch for the city to be destroyed by the political ruler. And we also know that in 70 AD, 40 years after the crucifixion, and 40 is another significant number, Roman legions came through and destroyed Jerusalem. And here are some of the stones. And I'm going to go through this quickly because... Um, literally, we're looking down the street, and the stones came from up top. You see all those piles of stones? Those things are huge, okay? Um, you see the, the burn marks on it? They literally burnt the temple because the temple had a lot of gold on the walls and stuff. It melted the gold. The, the, the Roman legions could take the gold. That's how Roman legions were paid oftentimes. 
And one more picture here. Uh, the reason why I put this one in at the very beginning of this picture, the bottom of the picture, you see it's kind of indented in. This is how heavy those stones were. As they threw them off the top, threw them, pushed them off the top, tumbled them over, it literally dented the street below. That's how big these things were. They totally destroyed it. Well, let's hurry up and finish here. It says, The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to this sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And this one is most likely, in my opinion, the Antichrist that Jesus talks about in Matthew 4. All right. There's a lot more there, but we don't have the time. But we need to ask ourselves, what do we take home with this after all? After going through this, all the confusion, all the numbers, and all the 70s, and 7s, and 10s, and 483, and 409, where do we take this? I'm going to give you a couple of things, and you might want to even add some more of your own here. But number one, nobody completely understands the end times. But we should try to study it and understand it. Don't obsess, but don't avoid it. Find some good authors who who really kind of disagree. In other words, solid people who disagree on this. And study them both to get a rounded view of it. But I want you to remember one thing. The most important thing in all of this is not when will the tribulation start. Are you pre, post, or or mid-trib? And you can get into all these fancy words to use in seminary. Not who is the the Antichrist. The most important thing is to back away and see the whole picture with Christ at the center. And us, who are the saints, who are looking up to him and we say, I'm not going to hell. That's the most important thing. Even though I may go through the tribulation, through the pressing, through the, the, the squeezing, I know where I'm going. The most important thing is not the facts. They're fascinating. It's a lot of fun to study some of this stuff. But the most important thing is knowing Jesus Christ. The fact that you know me. The fact that you know me. And Jesus is saying, you're not not being condemned to hell. And the fact that one day I won't have to struggle with my sin nature. And neither will you. That's an amazing thing. No longer will I hurt people. I will no longer lust after situations or people or food or, or, or sex or whatever. I won't fulfill my needs in an unhealthy way. I'll stop gossiping. I'll stop hating. I'll even like myself a little bit better. See, our God is a God of completion. He will complete everything. Therefore, we don't have to worry. So we try to understand everything in His Word. But don't worry. Either he returns or I die, but I'm golden. I got my ticket. I'm in good shape here. Are you today? Are you in good shape? Wide is the path that leads where? To hell. Narrow is the path that leads where? To Jesus. One last thing. Of all the things to know about the end times, some are more important than others. One important thing to know is that he is an atoner for sins. And there is a way to get your sins atoned for. And you don't need to know the 77s and the 7 and 483 years and all that stuff. You don't need to know that to have your sins atoned for. We need to prioritize sometimes what we know about the Scripture. 
It's great to know about the end times. It's great to know all the facts. It's great for all these discussions. But does it affect our relationship with Jesus Christ? Only if we understand the big picture that God is a God of completion. Then it affects us. Then we go, wow, God is going to complete things that he started in my life. Even though I've royally kind of messed them up. The things of God can affect us on a daily basis. They can. Are you affected on a daily basis? Are you like most of us who go out here on Sunday and go, oh, that was great, that was wonderful, God really spoke to me. Or he was really funny today, which I don't get that often. And then we go on with the rest of our week and we don't really even think about it. You know, that's the hard thing. I want us to be a church. I want us to be a group of Christians. I want us to be our little part of the kingdom. Because the other churches in the area, they're part of our kingdom too. Now, some of them are way out there wacky, not teaching the Word of God, not so much part of the kingdom. But if they're teaching the Word of God, they're part of the kingdom. I want us to be our part. I want our part of the kingdom to be a solid part, to be a part that's in the Word. To be a part that, that loves together, that laughs together, that plays together, that gets into the Word together, that prays together. All these things together. Because if we can't do that, man, if we can't do that in our own church, what are we saying to the world? Well, I'm way over time. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we kind of look at this, and Daniel probably understood part of it, and we look at it and we sort of kind of understand some of it, we don't have Gabriel to come to explain it to us right now, but we have something so much more important. We have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And I pray that you allow us to understand the things that we need to know today and then tomorrow that you reveal the things that we should know tomorrow. But more importantly, Lord, I pray that my relationship is strengthened in you, that I come to you on a daily basis. I start small, Lord, and have that relationship just grow into something that's just unbelievable that people can't even look at me without realizing there's something different about him now the lord bless you and keep you the lord's face shine down upon you may his spirit just well up in you may may his spirit just show you who you are in god's eyes in the name of the father son and the holy spirit amen